Hello, everybody, and welcome to this bonus episode of the Pocketnow Weekly Podcast. This is a reaction to CES 2021 Day 1. All right, so if we were actually in Las Vegas right now, this would be one of many episodes that we do at the end of most days during the trade show, uh, in which we just react to some of the stuff we saw during the day and some of the announcements that might have been made earlier in the day. Uh, of course, we are all at home right now, as this is the virtual slash digital CES 2021. But we still wanted to be able to react to some of the stuff that happened throughout the day with all of the press conferences and all of the products that we are seeing from afar. Uh, so I went ahead and got Nick Gray, editor-in-chief of Fandroid, to come back, and uh, we just talked through some of the announcements that caught our eye. Uh, things like televisions with all of the higher resolution that we're starting to see. Uh, all of the smart appliances and maybe some laptops. And then, of course, uh, all of the teases that I'm sure many of you might have heard about uh, with rollable displays. So let's go ahead and jump into it. This is just a bonus episode for you uh, recorded via an IG Live uh, in which I used a new recorder that I got so that I can actually record the IG Live audio. It's going to sound like I'm doing a phone interview with Nick Gray, but still, it's a great way for us to get some episodes out for you so you can get some timely content, in this case, regarding CE. ES 2021. Enjoy. So, Nick Gray, uh, the editor-in-chief of Fandroid here for this IG Live slash bonus podcast. Um, I guess there's no way of really getting into CES for the way that it is in 2021, rather than just asking, how has day one been? <laughs> well, day one as, well, technically it's day, what, minus two? Because it's always two days of press days before the actual show, or I, I honestly, I don't know how things are actually going this year, but today would typically be press day where all the big press and announcements are made before the show floor actually opens. And we get the chance to uh, invade the uh, Las Vegas convention center, which is not happening this year, but yeah. I don't know. Things went, got off to a pretty decent start this year. I think, um, you know, as per usual, LG is the first large manufacturer to hold their press event uh, bright and early 8 a.m. on the first day of press press announcements. And okay, they first gave of all, you their... said 8 a.m. I couldn't believe that this was going to be the case. 8 a.m. for it's you was 5 a.m. for me. Oh, yeah, because it's you. <laughs> it's usually thing. on Pacific time. Yep. No, it was 8 a.m. Eastern. So you woke up bright and early, as I'm sure a lot of people did. But for me, regular regular wake up time, um, and there was the the usual. Uh, a lot of different press events. Uh, LG had a press event. Samsung had a press event. TCL had a press event, and I think Mercedes had a press event. Just the usual, you know, slew of uh, announcements that we typically get the first day of CES. Typically, we're over in. Um, not the Venetian. We're not in the Venetian. We are in the Mandalay Bay, the convention yeah. space in the Mandalay Bay, going to all of the events. Um, most of them, you can't get in just because there's too many people trying to get in. And a lot of times we're watching it online anyways, but uh, not being at the show itself, not being in Vegas has a dramatic impact on the feel of the event because you can't feel the hype around you know, the different announcements, you can't talk to people about the different announcements in person to get what other people's vibes are about, you know, the products that were just unveiled or, you know, mm -hmm. the services that are rolling out. So that's a little bit different. But as far as the products themselves, I don't think anybody changed what they were going to be announcing, what they were going to be teasing this year. 
Um, so a lot of TVs, a lot of smart fridges, a lot of cleaning robots, which I, I knew was going to be coming with, with all the press releases that were leading up to CES. It seemed so like yeah, a you, sanitation a, of some sort or like some sort of like health and wellness type of thing. Where like it was more injected in a lot of the announcements that were made in the press conferences today. But this is the thing. Um, the first couple of days or as we would say, day zero ish of CES usually has all of the press conferences from the different companies, but they're not what we would necessarily expect as consumers even though this is a consumer show usually it's like mm -hmm. when you think of uh, samsung or you think of an lg you probably think of their phones or maybe like computers or uh tvs and stuff like that but no uh leading up to the actual first day of ces there's a lot of appliances there's a lot of smart home there's a lot of stuff like that and what I loved about the uh okay I didn't I did not love waking up at 5 a.m but LG um did have a lot of good announcements that it was sort of like setting the setting the precedent for displays at CES. There was a lot of talk of mini LED moving into new. It's not a new um, technology for televisions, but it's definitely going to be um, a lot more prolific. Uh, with every company finding a way to make their own version of like a mini LED thing, uh, going from 4K to 8K, depending on which company you look at. Um, how did you feel about LG's announcements in particular? I, I think LG did a good job. I just like Samsung with their TV announcements, which actually came last week. They, they try to preempt CES with making their announcements last week. Uh, and as you mentioned, the mini LED technology where they've been shrinking down the LED lights behind the displays themselves so that the, the lighting is more uniform. It's more uh, precise into where it's actually imposing that light so that you see a lot more detail. Uh, but I think I, I sent you this message earlier today about companies making announcements regarding new display technologies about things that we've never been able to see before. And yet they make those announcements and they show us on the current generation of technologies about all this extra clarity and detail. And I'm sitting here scratching my head thinking, if this technology is new and we haven't been able to see this before, how am I seeing these new things on my five-year-old computer monitor that I'm watching this on right now? Uh, just to show that they are a lot of times over-exaggerating the increase in quality and the increase in clarity that you're actually going to be able to see. Uh, one of the things that goes along with that too is while your TV might be able to display these things in higher clarity, it all comes down to how the content was actually captured because you know what sports are broadcast in 720p for most of the time most of the time and we're we're watching them on 4K TVs like there is some upscaling going there but honestly you're starting with 720 you know vertical pixels to deal with and a lot of content as well even if you're watching a movie that was captured in 4K that doesn't mean it had the 4K sensor that they used had the dynamic range to match what this TV can match. And so yeah. a lot of that is lost. So you, you have to have the most cutting edge imaging sensors to capture that information in the first place before you can actually display it. So what you're seeing now in a lot of these technologies, you won't be able to fully utilize, I would say for three to five years. I mean, it, you, you, the technology needs to take steps forward, but if just because you buy this TV, 
you know, next month doesn't mean you're going to be able to take advantage of everything that it has to offer because the media that's been created doesn't live up to the standards that the TV produces. Yeah. And even if you're like a cord cutter type and you're using like YouTube TV or Hulu live TV or sling or whatever the case may be, all of that is lower resolution than these halo products are providing. Uh, and if even then I went for years without even adopting 4k until like a few months ago, uh, I, I'm of course a lot more excited now for TV stuff. Now that I understand just how crazy these TVs can get and how much fun they can be mm -hmm. because they are bigger and better resolution and whatnot. But these announcements of like 8k televisions and all of that, like I still, mm. it's, it's at that point that I have the same attitude I had at every CES leading up to this one, which is, yeah, but we're not really, that's not going to be ubiquitous anytime soon. Like there's no. no way. Even a lot of people who are on Netflix are like, they don't realize that they're only watching things in either seven or 1080p. Um, and you have to pay even more to even get 4k content. And even then not all of it is 4k content. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, so being we, able to, we, no, you can finish up. I was just going to say the, it's just one of those things where the consumer has to do their homework to realize what they're yeah. actually enjoying. I know that upscaling is a thing and I know that it can be good, especially from the higher end uh, televisions that you might buy, but those higher end televisions are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars. And you're still going to be uh, at the mercy of the software in the television to actually enjoy higher quality stuff that probably wasn't even filmed at that higher quality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like for a lot of movies and everything that you're watching, even if uh, for like the first generation of Blu-rays that came out, you know, with, you know, 1080p video, high definition. And we're like, this is amazing. And then we go to realize, well, it's actually 720p and they're doing some upscaling with the Blu-ray player. So it's upscaling to 1080p if your TV actually supports it. And, and so we, we live in that perpetual cycle of, one part of the technology gets better and we have to wait for the other part of the technology to catch up, but they're trying to leapfrog each other at the same time. Um, so you'll never have a perfect experience. I, I think what, we're five, six years into 4K televisions mm -hmm. being kind of the norm, but I think finally, but we're still seeing, as I mentioned, sports are broadcast in 720p. There was, there was someone posted something about um, the NFL, they're, they're doing this test experiment using some mirrorless cameras for some of the NFL games with Sony uh, A7S three cameras. And someone mistakenly posted saying, look at the NFL in 8K. And I'm like, oh, first off, the Sony cameras can only shoot 4K video. Second off, they took that 4K video on the fly and downscaled it to 1080p, which then was rebroadcast in 720p to your TV, which was <laughs> then upscaled to 1080p or 4K. And so it's like so many steps along the way. It looked really good, but it's not 8K first off. Uh, it was actually 720p. Uh, the only thing that really looked good was they actually had depth of field because yeah, the, usual cameras that they, the usual cameras that they use for sports have a very... Uh, wide depth of field, the apertures on those are extremely high so that they can keep everything in focus because, you know, there's so much movement in the shot. 
Um, but with these ones, they were trying to get that cinematic look. So I, I think they were using a lens with like an F 1.2 or something like that, which looked incredible when you're getting up into the faces of the athletes, but, uh, no, it's not 8k it's technology. My camera can do that right here. I, I just don't shoot the NFL. <laughs> yeah. It was more about the camera that was being used rather than the resolution of all of it. So it's, it's, it's one of those funny things that CES is supposed to set the tone for the rest of the year, but even mm -hmm. then, not everybody can really understand the nuances of the tech, um, which gets even more and more difficult when you go into like other categories of products. Uh, I got to ask, like your family, man, you probably look at home appliances more often than I do. Like, are you into the smart fridges and even what was the name of the um, the robot? I'm trying, I'm, uh, it's uh, escaping my mind right now. Samsung's robot that literally goes and gets things for you, or is it the vacuum? I'm trying to remember which company did which. <laughs> uh, so Samsung had a, a vacuum robot, a disinfecting vacuum robot, and then they had, I think they called it the arm bot. I can't I remember. That, but Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head at the moment. I, I couldn't um, remember, but. But so Samsung's arm bot is to help you do chores around the house. So it they've they've been showing off their um, restaurant and home robots at CES for the last couple of years. But I think this is the first time that they're actually saying that it's going to be available as a product. So it mm -hmm. roams around your house. I think it has wheels at the bottom to roam around your house and it's tall enough to um, so it's not like a humanoid robot. It's rolling around your house, but it has a a body in the middle with a single arm that can then be at like table height to pick things up off of the table, take it to another room, put it down on another table, or they said even put, put your groceries away. So you would come in and leave all your groceries in front of your fridge and the robot would take the items out of your grocery bags and put them into the fridge, which I think my wife would really like. I don't know how practice like I it would probably Is this be because cheaper. you don't help. <laughs> no, I do help. I do help. She has to call me down from my office whenever she goes grocery shopping. No, but like I think it would be cheaper to pay somebody to go do your grocery shopping and put them away into your fridge for like five years than to pay buy a robot to do this for you. And in five years its firmware update would be done anyways and it would be obsolete, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of what, is, what some of the other ones are. I know I know people go nuts over the fridges. Um, that's one of the funny parts. I remember going to a Samsung press conference during day zero. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, yeah, what does Samsung have? And then the entire presentation was centered around a huge fridge. And I was just like, mm -hmm. what is happening right now? And I just remember thinking to myself, oh, I have to not have these expectations when I come to these shows, when I come to these press conferences at CES, because they're not what I'm thinking of. They're not what I want to see. Um, not necessarily. Uh, but yeah, once you go to the booths, we can't do that now, obviously, but once you go to the booths, there are usually a lot of other products that end up, they may not have center stage uh, during the press conferences, but they are usually there. Um, I don't remember seeing much from Samsung in regards to laptops other than the new Chromebook. Um, LG did yeah, show off Chromebook. the LG Grams. Mm -hmm. yep. I do love the Grams. Yeah, so, I, I mean, love the have... concept of the Grams. They may not be super powerful, but I really enjoy the fact that they exist. <laughs> Yeah, my, my only issue with the Grams is that they are extremely underpowered for yes. the price that you pay for them. They are extremely light, thus the name, uh, kilogram. Uh, so it comes in at you know just under 2.2 pounds. 
Um, so for what you get, it, it's one of those things you you have to prioritize one thing over the other for my workflows and what I need to do on a day-to-day basis. It's definitely not powerful enough to keep up with my workflows. But for a lot of people who are surfing the web or you know using web services for most of their work day in and day out, students who are looking for a thin and light laptop to go between classes, not like that's happening that much right now. Uh, but the grams of our for the last couple of years, they've been a really good option within that category. Yeah, for sure. Uh, moving on to a couple of other categories that might have shown up. Uh, one, one, one sort of fringe thing that I will say. Uh, I was, I actually was interested in what Mercedes Benz had to show. I, I don't know if you watched that press conference. It did happen at the same time as mm-hmm. TCL, I think. But they have this fifty-six inch dash smart display made for a car and. Okay, first things first, 56 inch, if you're reaching for the other side of that display, you're probably going to die (laughs) when you're driving. But I think uh, it's always interesting to see how the car manufacturers come into CES and show some really crazy ass stuff. And Mercedes Benz bringing this display. I don't know if I would ever really want that in my in my car. But then again, I know a lot of people who have Teslas and they swear by just all the tech that's in their dashes. Mm-hmm. I'm not too sure if it, at one point, at what point do you actually call it overkill? I guess is what I'm, what I'm asking. <laughs> I don't know. So the, the concept is intriguing. You see all the sci-fi movies of the futuristic cars and what the user interfaces for those cars are. Uh, so when you say it's a 56 inch display, it's not a, display in the same vein as what we think of now of a rectangle. Uh, So if you have, for those who haven't seen it, it's essentially a cutout that's shaped like the center console and the whole dashboard and, you know, the whole gauges and cluster area that you have in front of your steering wheel. It spans all of that. So it's curved, it's cut. And the way that they're using it is it's essentially a replacement for your entire dashboard with different things in different places. So you have your media controls and your GPS and everything still right in the middle where they typically are along with, you know, the climate controls, things like that. In front of you, you have your speed, uh, other information, but then in front of the passenger side where, you know, right above the glove box, it has a, it's the display still carrying over to that side allowing somebody to browse the web or watch a show or a movie, something like that. I think the concept is really good. Um, I don't recall if Mercedes said what the um, price would be because it's featured as an upgrade for, for some of their upcoming EV vehicles. And I'm I'm sure this is a five to $8,000 upgrade over the base model cost, which for a Mercedes, if I mean, if you're buying a Mercedes EV, you're already spending close to or more than a hundred grand for yeah, it. So that was the thing I was about to say. If, if it's you can also, afford that, it's one you of can those items. This. Yeah, it's one of those items that also seems tailor-made for a category of cars that most of us don't even enjoy, which is the self-driving type. So that makes more sense in a car like that rather than in one that you're literally driving in a more conventional method and you still mm-hmm. have to touch or interact with everything that's in front of you that that all seems like too much to me i I get that a heads-up display is probably something that people want in their cars but this is like the overkill of that 
Um, but we are talking about displays. I do want to remind everybody that while we're doing the last 10 to 15 minutes of this show, you can uh, put in some questions and whatnot. We are talking about as I pinned in the comments, yes. So try to keep on that topic and try not to be that one person who literally begged for us to notice him. So if you do that, if you're needy in the comments, we're not going to, we're not going to acknowledge you. Let's just put it that way. Um, but in any case, we're talking about displays. This one was in a this one was in a car, obviously, but TCL then came out the gate. Oh, actually, you know what? Before I even get to TCL, uh, LG, again, set the precedent, set the tone for the mm-hmm. rest of the show or the even the rest of the year by being one of the first companies to actually tease the rollable in 2021. Uh, okay, Nick seems to be frozen for a sec. Uh, you and your internet connections making me edit more? <laughs> So I was just explaining to uh, our audience here that LG teased a rollable at the end of their video uh, press conference presentation. And you posted just like that particular clip over at Fandroid. Um, Clearly, it is something that you're excited for because of that. So let me know what you think of the whole rollable concept. This Is this going to be the new frontier? We went from foldables and now it's rollables. I don't know what the next able is going to be, but yeah, here we are with rollables. I think it's very intriguing and having seen TCL's prototype dummy when they made the announcement earlier last year uh, regarding their rollable phone or expandable phone, it's extremely intriguing. I mean, the, the form factor and the concept is that you have a phone that's the size of a regular phone and then it becomes a tablet without being double the size when it's folded up like a Samsung Galaxy Fold is. And for me, I I think that makes, now I want to call them expandable phones because one that's smaller, that gets larger into a variety of different form factors. It could be it gets wider or it gets taller depending on the type of device that you're looking at. I think the concept is extremely intriguing, but it comes down to, How is it actually implemented? And again, are we getting that soft display like we get on the Galaxy Fold? Because I think we are. And we all know that it's not the best display experience as far as touching the screen compared to a regular smartphone. Because we we went from that in the old days when we everyone was using Palm Pilots and uh, the first generation of Windows uh, phone devices. Uh, with resistive touch displays versus capacitive touch displays. And I don't think anybody wants Mm. that feeling anymore. Yeah. Um, And I'm, I am intrigued by it for sure, but nothing intrigued me more than TCL's concept because it was a literal scroll. (laughs) And I don't know why, Mm -hmm. but I was so into that concept. The fact that you can take out something that looks like an old school scroll and literally roll it out like this so that you can read something like wide on it. It's a digital display. I don't know why, but that got me so excited. And I thought to myself, this is the least practical methodology. Oh, of course. (laughs) But it's the one I really want. Well, so they they showed a large form factor. He had had a scroll that was probably 10 to 12 inches tall with the two scrolls and opened it up to a display that was like a 16 inch or a 13 inch display. And I'm thinking, well, what if we had a small one and it was only, you know, two inches tall and you scrolled it out and it was the size of a phone, right? It it looks like two 
two things of chapstick and you open it up and it turns into a phone. I mean, that's, that's a little bit more practical. You can actually fit that in your pocket. I don't know where he was putting his scroll before he had his carrying it around in a backpack, right? <laughs> Who knows? But the concept is really cool. I mean, these are things you look back and you, you know, anyone who watches sci-fi shows and all the different display concepts that have been shown off over the decades uh, in different sci-fi shows, you know, imagining what display technology is going to look like in the near or far future. Things like this we've seen before, but now we're actually at the point of, you know what, we can actually implement this in real life with the technologies that we have or the ones that are right around the corner within the next year or two. Mm, yeah, uh, I'm. I'm hoping for. I love the. I love this idea that you have of um, <laughs> like two little things of chapstick. Over. It's two like the message things. you put. In, it's like the message you put with the raven, and then you let him go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just it's just one scrolling marquee of text. I feel like. Yep. <laughs> I do like that a lot. Um, but yeah, that actually kind of covers the the majority of like the high level um, announcements that were made. I, I do I do want to preface uh, not preface. I do want to make sure I mention uh, that if any if any consumers out there, any people watching uh, might want to follow CES, even if these high level things don't seem to be in your wheelhouse, there are so many smaller items, so many smaller companies that are using CES as their platform. Um, I know I'm going to be doing a couple of videos that it's going to be my first videos over on my channel for 2021. They're going to be super light things. It's like, I'm going to do a video on like a blender, um, a video on a on this bad boy right here, actually, um, Zendir uh, has their Super Tank Pro at CES, but I've already had it for a couple of months because they actually released it a little while ago. So it's these companies that have like a smaller presence that as a whole make up the experience of CES. And that's us going through the show floors and talking to incessant amounts of people. Um, so I guess uh, um, one question that we do have in the chat before I move on to the final question here, what about Samsung's new AI? Do you think it's an improved version of Bixby that they showed off? That I don't actually know. Um, like, I don't know if there's going to be a hard pivot from Bixby. Bixby is very much like a um, a mobile application, and maybe AI might take on a different identity when it comes to IoT and um, uh, what's the term? Uh, smart things. Uh, mm -hmm. But of course, Bixby is a big part of smart things. But there's not a whole lot of information um, that is that we know about what Samsung's AI might actually be based off of. But I wouldn't be surprised if Bixby was still a big part of it. I mean, they're not going to give up on that anytime soon. Yeah, I don't think Bixby is going anywhere in the near future. Uh, I think maybe they will be using this new AI to enhance Bixby. Um, anyone who's used Bixby knows it's extremely limited in what it does. Its main function on Samsung smartphones is actually to use it as a shortcut for a lot of different features on the device itself. It's not a real good comparison uh, if you're you're if you're matching it up to Siri on Apple's devices or even the Google Assistant on all of Android devices. Um, I, I hope like Samsung is always looking to create their own roadmap and use their own technologies rather than relying on other companies' technologies. So I think this is their play to compete more with the Google Assistant. Um, but even with that, it's going to take years for them to develop it because it's not like Google Assistant was as good as it is today as it was on day one. 
it had its growing pains. There were a lot of things it couldn't do at the start and it added and added and added every month, every, you know, every quarter, every year, it got better and better. And that's going to be the same thing with Samsung's new AI as well. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, all right. So I, I, I guess uh, after going through some of the announcements that were made today, th there are still a ton of them being made even right now. It's just that the more high level, um, let's say companies and products that we would cover on our respective websites, uh, those are the ones that happened this morning. There's still going to be some over the next few days. Uh, not too sure if it's going to be um, quite as like, I don't want to say newsworthy, that's the wrong word, but let's say headline catching. Um, and then, of course, we have uh, Unpacked at the end of this week. So a lot of exciting stuff happening this week. Uh, however, one of the biggest stories from this week is going to be the fact that CES is vastly different. So I guess my last mm -hmm. question here, and we can kind of talk a little bit about, I'm sure you're as sad as I am <laughs> that we're not there. We're not able to hang out. How would you characterize, now that we're in it, a digital CES trade show? Um, I would say it's disappointing. A, tra a trade <laughs> yeah. show, you know, honestly, a, a trade show without being a trade show is just online press events. And it it is extremely hard to get a sense for how well a technology works or how well it doesn't work or how it actually can impact your life in a specific way without holding it in your hand and testing it for yourself. We can all read spec sheets. We can all look at photos, uh, but there's something different about actually holding a device in your hand and seeing how it can affect the world around it. And also oh, yeah. talking one-on-one -on -one with product managers and, you know, engineers and all the press people that are, are there, you know, to sell the product itself, but you get a better understanding of what that product's intent is rather than just looking at a spec sheet because intent really defines the use of a product rather than here's a generic product that can do X amount of things. And knowing that intent really informs us in the way that we approach a product when we review it, but also as we're writing about it, uh, as to making recommendations for friends, families, or people who are reading our artic articles or watching our videos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, right there with you. I mean, I think that there are some residual benefits of the fact that we are living in, I, I don't, I'm not going to call it the new normal because obviously trade shows will return in some capacity later on. It's not like this particular methodology is going to be this way all the time, but I do hope that there are certain aspects to it that kind of stick around. These landing pages for all of the companies are honestly godsends because we can just click on them and get the info we need without having to like literally walk through the waves of people potentially getting each other sick. Uh, one person said at the beginning of this uh, live stream that one thing I don't miss from CES is the flu. Well, God forbid we were, we would get CES COVID, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, the uh, I, I was able to go through so many vendors and so many uh, press releases and so many PR contacts so easily uh, with this methodology. So in, in a way, I kind of hope that not only CES, but also the smaller trade shows that happen alongside it, like Showstoppers, Techfluence, and all of that. Um, I hope that they continue with at least landing pages like that. We can still go to the show floors. We will still probably be there and be able to interact with them. But having a one, an all-in-one place to get those contacts and to get all the info that we need is pretty dope. I'm not going to lie. I actually really like that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there is some level of efficiency that 
goes with being a digital event. I mean, I've always said you can provide better coverage of CES by not being at CES, not walking 18 miles in a day and having, you know, to attend 17 <laughs> the meetings on, on your that's schedule. The, that's the thing I do not miss is having a backpack. Your on shoulders and your back are hurting and you're just in a bad mood and you have a headache <laughs> and all you've had to drink all day is three Cokes and nine coffees and no real food. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we're all doing a lot better just sitting at home, but uh, you don't get the experience and you don't get the uh, impressions as to how these technologies that we're seeing unveiled will actually have an impact on our lives. Yeah, indeed. All right. Well, that is our quick retrospective of CES Day 1. Obviously, our coverage of the show is a little bit more uh, focused. Uh, we look for the mobile stuff, but of course we dive into a few other things like the laptops and the TVs. Uh, home appliances, not quite our wheelhouse, but you can find all of the the news from CES uh, over on our respective websites. Nick, why don't you go ahead and let everybody know where to go for all of your news. Well, you can find me and all of my CES coverage over on fandroid.com um, and fandroid.com slash Twitter or my personal account, twitter.com slash Nick M. Gray. All right. I uh, would not be surprised if we see you again later this week, Nick. So thank you for being on this one and probably an early thanks for being on whatever comes up next. (laughs) Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, And uh, for anybody that came in late, if you want to still be able to hang out with us, this this particular IG Live will be made into a podcast episode, a bonus content episode. Uh, So make sure you're subscribed to the Pocket Now Weekly podcast if you want to hear the full uh, 35-ish minute conversation we had about CES Day 1. With all that said, we're going to go ahead and call it on this one. Thank you so much for hanging out with us on this IG Live, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye, guys.